Please open with me in your Bibles to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Well, this past week, a group of preachers from around the region were on site for an annual preaching workshop that is hosted here at Desert Springs Church. It's a kind of preacher's spring training. It's where we hold up the Bible and say, this is a Bible, and remind ourselves of what we're doing with it and how we're to use it and how God uses it in the course of our preaching work. It's a week that I always look forward to. This year we focused on how to preach poetry, so so it only made sense that I would preach from a poem today, from the book of Psalms, the book of poems for prayer to God that God has given to us. And as poems, the Psalms are like a photo album, each Psalm and each page littered with images from the life of God's people for the life of God's people. Today's poem, Psalm 121, is filled with pictures of one man's long and treacherous journey home, written for the long and treacherous journey home of every believer down the ages. Before we read, just a brief note about its origin and use. It was originally penned by a man on a journey, a man who knew God on a journey. It eventually was compiled along with several other psalms for use by Jewish pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for the great feasts. Jerusalem, the city of God's king, the city of God's temple. That's why it's called the Psalm of Ascents. They would ascend to Jerusalem, the home of God's people. And it was later placed in this last portion of the book of Psalms, the fifth book in the book of Psalms, used by exiles returning home from exile, Babylonian exile, home to Jerusalem, an 800-mile journey. Later, the psalm was used by Jesus on his journey on land here, and today it's used by you and by me on ours. So here's a poem, a poem from a journey for a journey, God's word for you and for me this hour, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Well, this psalm begins with a question from the trail. On a journey, this man looks at the daunting hills before him and asks, from where does my help come? Typical, typical for a long journey by foot. If you're on an afternoon hike, you might ask yourself, where is my sandwich? If you're on a day hike, you might ask yourself, I wonder if my traveling companion has another sandwich. If you're on a multi-day walking journey in the arid climate of the ancient Near East, you ask yourself, from where does my help come? And when you see the hills ahead of you, you don't say, aren't those beautiful hills? You say, aren't those high hills? In the mid-90s, I lived in the Bay Area and joined a friend's church youth group for a weekend trip to Yosemite. I was eagerly learning about Christianity. I had been invited to church. I was hearing the word of God preached. I was uh, going to youth group and then started going on Sunday morning and then joined, signed up for this trip. Was excited to study scripture a bit that week and, and then to hike 
half dome, if you're familiar with this, towering dome over Yosemite Valley. Sitting on the edge of a 5,000 foot cliff wasn't on the waiver, and so I was able to go, although I did sit on that cliff. We began at the crack of dawn in Yosemite Valley and ended at the top of what is truly a giant round dome. Besides here with you and at home, this is my favorite place on earth. I've taken my brother there, I've taken my wife there, I'll take my kids there, I'm sure. I'll tell you why. It's one of my first encounters with creation at that level and also with the limitations of my own body. Just imagine me skinnier and 14 Really, you couldn't see me. But I'll tell you that for every measure, for every measure of difficulty on that hike were 10 measures of spiritual reflection. In the experience of that day-long hike, my thoughts were bouncing off the peak of that dome to the dome of heaven about my need for the one who made that mountain. I was thinking, yes, about my legs. They were burning. I learned about the burn on that hike. You just keep going. But I was thinking mostly about my life, and it's at the top of that dome that I have my earliest memory of giving God credit for making the world. I remember looking at the the world and thinking, God, you made this, and I have never thought that thought before. Never given him praise for it before. Never spoken to him about what he's made before. Never said, you're great and I'm small before, but God was at work in my life. The writer of Psalm 121 was not asking for help for his hike. He was asking for help for his life. And isn't it true that the deeper you get into the experience of your own humanity and your own frailty, and the more you bump up against the dangers of this world, the deeper go your questions about the meaning of life, this life, and the next. If you're here asking deep questions because you're staring at some tall mountains, that's God's grace to prepare you for this sermon and his help. And so this question from the trail comes with an answer for all of life. An answer for all of life. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The best answer we could ever imagine to the best question any human can ever ask. And if you can imagine a better source of help in life than the one who made heaven and earth, then you are truly imagining things. So how do you answer that question? From where does my help come? That's why we gather every Sunday, by the way, to make sure we're asking the right question and make sure that we're believing the right answer, to make sure that we're feeling as helpless as we are, and to make sure that we're knowing God for the helper that he is. This psalm starts off with a question, the traveler to himself, but most of the psalm is the traveler speaking to his traveling companion about his God. And so we do that same thing this morning. It's through this poem that God has given us more than a Q&A. It doesn't stop after verse 1 and 2. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Well, that's enough. No. We have images and poetry and some beautiful words here through which God would help to take what he is saying to us down to our soul. So take it all the way down this morning. It's our medicine. 
What kind of help are we talking about here? Well, the repetition of keep and kept answers for us. This is God's help to protect, to guard us, to watch over us, to preserve us. He is our keeper. If we're his, he's our guardian. If you're trying to figure out how to make a dish at home, I don't know how to make any dishes at home. If you're trying to figure out how to make a dish, you need some help. You go to the internet, wherever. The kind of help you think you need is determined by the kind of help you think you need. And as human beings, we don't always know the help we need. We don't always know how vulnerable we actually are. And so the mountains ahead are God's grace to put us in our place and point us to him. This is help for the soul from our keeper and our guardian. Four stanzas in this poem for four comforts from this poem this morning. First, the Lord is your keeper from trouble up ahead. He's your keeper from trouble up ahead. Verses one through two. When the psalmist said, I lift up my eyes to the hill, he, hills, he wasn't pondering their beauty. If that's what you originally thought, sort of like me, that's because you're usually in a car when you're looking at them or driving right over them. When I'm in a car and I see hills, I do this with my foot. Okay, and then I go over the hill and then it's over. And if I'm in a long journey, I've usually got the music on and I've got the AC on and I've got my snack on. Having a good time. But this traveler is on his feet and when you're on your feet, and there are hills in front of you. You don't necessarily ponder their beauty, though you might for a moment. You ponder what it's going to take to get over them and whether you have what it takes to get over the hills in front of you. In facing the hills, you're facing your future. There are hills ahead. And they pose a challenge. Of course, there's nothing like feeling the burn when you make it to the top of a hill to discover that you're at the bottom of another hill. Life can sure be that way. It's either one hill after another or for some, it's one big epic hill. But these hills weren't only steep. The hills were dangerous. Home to robbers and thugs, home to those waiting in the shadows to entrap you, to take your possessions, your clothes, your food, and perhaps your life. The hills were not safe. That's not what comes to mind when I see hills, but that's what would have come to mind for the traveler on a long journey who wrote this psalm and in the minds of those in that time that used it. As the writer looked to the hills ahead, we look ahead to our futures and wonder what is there and if we have what it takes. And that's why some of you haven't been asking from where does my help come? You've been asking rather, is there a God or does God care or why should I go on living? These hills will have that effect on you. They can crush your souls. As we'll see, they'll, they're to leave us with only one helpful question. They are there on purpose. One eternally important question and one question that only has one really satisfying answer. Oh, how I hope that you're asking with the psalmist this morning, from where does my help come? And no other question. This is the only question with a good answer when you're looking ahead at these. There is help through and over the hills. If the Lord is your keeper, then you are kept by the one who has, made, has more than what it takes. Here the psalmist, he looks at the hills and he considers 
Who made the hills? Who is higher than the hills? Who is stronger and smarter than anything that hides in the shadows that he doesn't know is coming? When you look at the hills ahead, consider your keeper. The Lord who made heaven and earth is your keeper from trouble up ahead. And second, verses three and four, the Lord is your keeper from trouble underfoot. He will not let your foot be moved. The rider has looked ahead to the hills and now the rider looks down at his feet. When you're outside, the ground can present you with some obvious challenges. Even well-worn paths present difficulty. Rocks, big rocks, big holes, crags, cracks on the ground. When I moved here in August of 2010, I was thrilled uh, to learn that there were mountain biking trails so close by, up in the foothills. Then in September of 2010, I reassessed my evaluation of those trails. When mountain biking with a friend, I was told a story of the guy who had my job before me, spending an hour with another guy, who I know but won't name, picking cactus spinities out of his rear end for an hour or a whole evening. So you're riding around and there's cacti all around. What did it occur to you? Don't fall. You're watching your tires. You're watching the trail. It matters. So on the trail, he's thinking a lot about his feet. He's looking down at his feet now. You don't go anywhere. Your feet don't take you. And if your foot slips, so does the load it carries. To break a leg, to gash your head, or to slip down in a ravine would be devastating. For the traveler. But more trouble for the traveler by foot than the ground is the foot. His foot. You can lose balance. You aren't always so steady. You can look only so many places at a time. You can look where you're going in one moment and then down at where your feet are at the next, but not both at the same time. And you can get tired. That's, what most, that's what's most vulnerable about a hike like this when it comes to your feet. When the energy you've gathered from rest is used up, your foot can slip. Yes, the ground is difficult. But in our human vulnerability, we present ourselves with all kinds of difficulties. The challenges on a hike aren't just under us, but us. So the challenges in life aren't just on the road, but in the soul. So thank God if you are his, he will not let your foot be moved. How can you be so sure? Well, he's nothing like you. That's how you can be so sure. Verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't go to sleep at night. He doesn't do other things, although he does other things at the same time. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't even get tired. That's what that means. He will neither slumber nor sleep. Sleep. If you're a human being, it's what you do. Geico, right? Sleep. If you're God, it's what you don't do. You never sleep. And that's because the source of all energy doesn't run out of energy. The maker of heaven and earth isn't challenged in his senses or his ability by anything on earth. Which means that when God watches over you, he watches over you. He is now. He is focused on you without distraction, without blinking an eye. 
In high school, if I arranged to come home late, I'd almost certainly find my mom sleeping on the chair in the family room. Why, I didn't really understand at the time. I was just fine. But of course, we know why. She was watching over me. But even mom slumbered and fell asleep in the chair. And she didn't go with me for protection. That wouldn't have been received very well. It's not even good parenting. But she watched over me. You have to get God right. He is of no help to us if he is like us. Several weeks ago, when I decided on preaching this text, I thought, I'm falling in love with this passage. I'm going to teach it to my kids. We're not done with it yet, so don't quiz them. But I started with Madeline and verse 1. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. She memorized it pretty quickly. I'm impressed with how much little scripture memory they do in the back here. I was trying some on. I was at about 8 in the morning. 8 at night. Now, decided to take her on a date. I'm a little lazy, so we do ice cream and stars in the driveway. It was actually a really good idea, and it was super easy. Uh, We'll do it again. I told her she could ask me two questions. A question about life and a question about God. question about life. What's your favorite color? question about God. Does God sleep? I looked at her and thought, did you read ahead? Because I had not read the whole psalm to her. I had not read the whole psalm with my family. How did sleeping get on her mind? Well, it's like half her life is sleeping. It's a good question. I'd like to think that maybe the logic of that question, from where does my help come, raised the question in her mind, well, does God sleep? There's a certain logic to it, isn't there? It matters if God can tend to us. If he can really help us, he has to stay awake. It's a nice thought that maybe she got there on her own, but I think she's just a kid asking a good question. But it's not just a question for kids, is it? Don't get tired asking questions about what God is like and considering how he isn't like us. For whatever reason, it came into her mind, but it happens to be the crucial next question for the person wondering if God is really their help Well, if we need to know, we need to know that God is able to constantly watch over us. And we also need to know that God is willing to constantly watch over us. So another good question is why? If God can stay awake and tend to whatever he wants, why would he tend to me? He's the maker of heaven and earth. There are other things out there to watch, to guard, and to keep safe. The imagery on repeat will help us here. Remember, the Lord is your keeper. He's your keeper. He keeps you. What kind of things do you keep? What kind of things do you guard? What kind of things do you watch over? Remember the image of my mom in that chair when I came home late. Treasures is one way to put it. Treasures. When you keep something, it's because you want to. And apparently, the maker of heaven and earth wants to keep you if you're his. The Lord does not slumber nor sleep. He is more concerned and more attentive than the most watchful and concerned parent. Yes, he keeps promises because he makes them, but he does not make promises that he does not want to keep. And notice the personal pronouns, you, 
your, you, your. You are his treasure. He is your keeper. In fact, if you remember the early chapters of the Bible, the maker of heaven and earth made heaven and earth for, for you, for humanity. Or the last thing that he made, or the most important thing that he made. We've fallen into sin, but he's come after us, and he keeps those he saves. Don't let that elevate your sense of self-importance too high in the wrong way. Let it elevate your sense of God's precious, God's care and benevolence for that which is precious to him. The maker of heaven and earth can keep track of your foot. He's your keeper. The Lord is indeed your keeper from trouble underfoot. We have looked ahead. We have looked underfoot. And now we look overhead. Third, the Lord is your keeper from trouble overhead. Verses five and six. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The day and the night present difficulties, different difficulties for the traveler. The sun is the source of our life, but it can also be the source of our death. Striking you with its rays, it can suck the life out of you. It's a fireball at 9,941 degrees Fahrenheit. I appreciated one source that rounded up to 10,000, but I did think that sounded a bit high. And I'm wondering where the instrument is that calculates this to the degree. Striking, it does. It's good imagery here. It can burn your skin. I had a friend in high school who made a Batman stencil. Son, friend in high school, Batman stencil. Here you're putting this together. Put it on his chest, sunscreen. Take the stencil off. His buddy did a Superman one. They laid out for an afternoon in the hot California sun. The Superman guy went in after a while. I think the other guy was sleeping or stubborn and just really wanted to see how far he could go. By the time I saw it, it was many months later, if not short of a year later, the Batman symbol was still there. It was a lot of pain, but it paid off because he could sort of do this reveal, you know. And that guy helped bring me to the Lord, by the way, if that explains anything. The sun can strike you. Well, Christy is not very outdoorsy, if you know my wife. But she did marry a person who likes to think that he's outdoorsy. A few years back here, I took Christy for a day to White Mesa to hike what's called the Dragon's Back. I'd been on this trail before and wanted to share this beautiful experience with her. She agreed. We had a few water bottles and we set out, but we ran out about halfway through the hike in the middle of the day under the hot sun and at about the bottom of a valley, the canyon. You see, at one point we stopped and looked at a map and I had always gone on this trail here, but this was a shorter trail and we thought, ah, we'll take the shorter trail back. What you can't see when you're looking at a map like this, a simple map, is that the shorter trail goes down into the canyon. So we went down into the canyon, realizing we would now have to climb up out of the canyon and so I decided to take a shortcut out and just start climbing up because we saw some trail and we kept not finding the trail and overheating and wondering if we'd make, I mean, literally you're wondering, could I die? And you keep going. The shorter path took us to the bottom of the canyon. 
A fireball was striking us the whole time. We will not forget how hot it was for that last hour and a half. And even if I could, Christy won't let me forget how hot it was for that last <laughs> hour and a half. We were having dinner with a couple that night, and Christy was like, I can't think. So we did it. It was fun. So you can see how many, uh, you can see how, how many, I've used up all my hiking stories, by the way, so... Not all of us have much experience under the sun and extreme temperatures, but none of us really have anything like the experience that the original psalmist had to work with. Long multi-day for the, those returning from exile, 800 miles outside, no escape from the sun. Sun can literally strike a person to the ground so that they cannot get back up. So that's the sun. Now think about the moon. You might not think of the moon as a pain, but that's because you sleep inside a house. If you just didn't sleep inside a house, you'd think differently about the moon. The moon would represent for you all the danger that comes with the dark. The moon, too, can strike you. Strike you with cold. Strike you with uncertainty. Strike you with incredible wind like last Thursday night. Friday morning on Facebook, all of your trampolines and chicken coops were all over the yards. It's an incredible evening. I actually, <laughs> I left in the morning and I looked, oh, at the yard to see if the rocks were there. I mean, the wind was hardcore. I've never seen rocks leave a yard, but I just, I thought to look. <laughs> Quite seriously and soberly though, the moon can strike you with untold real life nightmares that happen in the dark, miseries, miseries that leave your heart and your life like a backyard turned upside down by a windstorm. And others may see it, or others may not see it, but you know it. This pairing of the sun and the moon is but a parable of the diverse miseries of human life. Some miseries are blinding and hot, and some are shadowy and cold. All of them happen under one celestial sphere or another. And it doesn't matter if you're in the sunniest part of your life in one area, financially, or in the sun of a degree you spent a decade to earn, or the sun of a business you spent a lifetime to build, or a son of a mar marriage, or children that you've prayed for. Men and women despair of life in every apparently happy circumstance, and even the very happiest of circumstances can themselves be the instrument of our pain and peril and harm. Those in the dark may wonder if those in the light understand their pain, and they may not but you also don't understand theirs. There are all kinds of untold miseries, psychological, emotional, physical. But hear this, the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth made the sun and the moon and he keeps you in the midst of all this. If you're his, then your soul will not ultimately be struck down. He is your shade. The Lord is your keeper from trouble overhead. And as if the psalmist hasn't already gone to length enough to convince us of the comprehensive nature of God's keeping, care, and help, we have verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Fourth, the Lord, will, the Lord is your keeper from trouble of all kinds at all times. 
The Lord is your keeper from trouble at all, of all kinds at all times. His protection is total. There's no place or circumstance or moment over which he does not watch and in which God does not keep you. Whenever you go out and whenever you come in, he is your keeper. He keeps you when you go out for your first day of school, when you come home from college or your first day on the job, when you go out for your wedding day, if he blesses you with marriage, and when you come home from a counseling session, when you go out to the hospital to have a baby, and when you come home after a surgery, when you go out for your first job interview, and when you come home after your last day on the job, whether it be because you were fired or whether you retired, when you go out for your anniversary and when you come home from your spouse's funeral, he's your keeper. In the beautiful and in the hard, the Lord is your keeper. And he's your keeper in the mundane. And you're going out for groceries and in your coming home for dinner and in the making of dinner. And you're going out for diapers and in your coming home to change them. And you're going out to work and you're going out to play and in your coming home to rest. In all of this, he's your constant, comprehensive keeper. Keeping you because he wants to. Keeping you because you are his treasure. And keeping you because he is able to keep you from this time forth and forevermore. It'd be enough for the psalmist to say he keeps you. But he says he keeps you from this time forth. That would be enough too. But he says he keeps you from this time forth and forevermore. How encouraging is that? Won't let you go. He's the maker of heaven and earth and he's got you. This is a beautiful poem, isn't it? But is it true? It's a little over the top, isn't it? Is God really keeping Christians that are picked out by a gunman, gunman in a classroom shooting? Is he really keeping Christians who lose their heads? Is God really keeping Christian women who are raped by ISIS leaders over and again and over and again and then killed? Because that's happening. Yes. Here's over the top from the lips of Jesus. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's over the top. The kingdom of heaven. That sounds like home. That's where the journey leads. That's better than Jerusalem for the pilgrims who used this on their ascent for the feasts. That's better than the Jerusalem the exiles returned to after Babylonian exile. This is the heavenly kingdom. This is the very perfect presence of God. Suffering to glory. It's the way Jesus went. It was the middle of the day when he was struck and taken up a hill where his clothes were taken and sold and where he was then killed. It was there that the sky went dark and his spirit was struck. Jesus took the hill. He took the fall. And he took it for us. He is, to use the imagery of this psalm, our shade because he takes the heat that is ours. This is how he keeps us. And yet he prayed this prayer as well because that wasn't his end. And we follow him in the same suffering to glory. So that now today, like exiles on their way, 
home to Palestine from Babylon, looking forward to their city, Jerusalem. We are pilgrims in this land on our way to a better and more lasting heavenly city. In fact, that's exactly how Peter addressed first century suffering Christians when he opened his letter. Strangers and aliens. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Kept, guarded. God keeps what he treasures and he guards those who are his for it. How good is that? But is suffering really necessary in the meantime? He goes on because that's a good question. And the Bible legitimizes the question by answering it so graciously and sweetly and generously. Verse six of 1 Peter one. In this hope you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him because of the many hills that stand between here and your destination, you love him because you know where you're going. And to whom you are going. Psalm 121, my friends, is over the top. And it's true because God is over the top. The hills in front of you, the craggy ground beneath you, and the sun above you are there for you. You may indeed fall into a hole. But as you do, God is keeping your soul. No, with your fall, God is keeping your soul. With your fall, He's keeping your soul. Through cancer, heartache, and loneliness, God is working over the material of your soul to fashion something so beautiful that earthly eyes would be blinded by its beauty. And that's because God is not preparing you for merely earthly eyes, but for his own to behold. In praise and glory at the revelation of Christ. Here's how one saint among us put it on Facebook this week. Quote, the more we learn of God's powerful sovereignty over this life, even and especially over the parts that seem most severe, our knowledge of his overflowing mercy does not diminish, but rather grows. That's a pilgrim talking. That's someone who knows where he is. That's someone who knows where he's going. And that's someone who knows who keeps him. Hope you can say it too. Because it's true that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come nor hill nor crag nor sun nor cold nor anything you experience in your going out or your coming in will be able to separate you from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, these things are even working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So my friends, God is not only sovereign over your life with its hills and sun and moon and everyday comings and goings. He is sweet in your life 
in all of these things. Back to the question that we began with. From where does my help come? I said that that was the best question that anyone could ask. And it is. It's the best question because it's the most basic question. And if there is no satisfying answer to this question, then there's really no satisfying answer to any other meaningful question we might ask. In fact, if there's no answer to this question, then these hills and this ground and these feet and this sun really is too much to bear. There's only one best question and there's only one good answer to it. This question, in fact, is why those hills are there. The hills are there for a reason. They're supposed to look impossible. There's one with a tombstone on it with your name on it. Did you know that? That's one of the hills. It's the last one. It's where you're buried. (laughs) You need some help over these hills. There's a promise you won't make it in this life over that one. None of us live forever. The hills in this life are meant to point you to the one who made them. They're meant to convince you of your need for him. They're meant to teach you about the shortness of life. They're meant to teach you about the length of eternity. They're meant to teach you about your need. And not just here, but here. All the way down. And this psalm is a help. The hills are there because outside of Eden, there's only one way back to God, and that is God. So ask and answer this question before any other, from where does my help come from? It'll take some humility. It's the first question a young child asks when they can ask a question, help, help. It's also the first thing that they refuse as soon as they think that they can refuse help. Looking to God for help means admitting that we aren't sufficient in ourselves for everything in this life and certainly not for dealing with death. This psalm is not a comfort to everybody. The psalm is a comfort to those for whom God is a keeper. So go to him as your keeper. Come to him admitting your your need for help and his sufficiency to provide it. Next time you see some hills, think about how hard it'd be to climb over them. Sandias maybe. Realize it's harder to pass through death, but that the one who made those hills can carry you through. Ask it. It's the best question. And by the way, I'm not the only one who says it's really the best question. The saints of old said as much. In the Heidelberg Catechism, which has been used by saints down the years, it starts with basically the same question in different words. Listen. What is your only comfort in life and death? These catechisms, which can be hundreds of questions long, I suppose, aren't ordered randomly. There's a logic to them. This is question number one. What is your hope in life and death? What is yours? Well, here's a good answer. It's not poetic. It's more doctrinal. But it's an answer in the full light of everything Christ has done. Here's the answer. I'm not my own. But belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he, is also, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing 
and ready from now on to live for him. If the hills ahead in your life make you believe that more, let them double in size. The hills were high and the sun was hot so that this traveler who penned this psalm would look to God and yours are, hit, yours are there for the same reason. The Lord is your keeper and he is mine if our faith is in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray to you as our helper. We pray to you as those who need help. We are not always so convinced that we need help. But that's why we have your word to teach us about what question we should ask if we only had one question. And to teach us about the only satisfying answer. Father, help us to know our helplessness this morning as we ponder this psalm as some of us may commit it to memory help us to know our helplessness help us to know your great and sufficient help as the maker of heaven and earth and the keeper of your people and help us to say this to each other as the psalmist says it to us it's in Jesus' name we pray these things amen